Gone is a podcast about people who have gone missing from the United States and Canada. These people are daughters, sons, sisters, and aunties. They didn't just disappear. Someone, somewhere, knows something. This is Janelle Feller. And I'm Katie Nordby. Jody Sue Husentrout was 27 years old when she went missing on June 27, 1995, in Mason City, Iowa. Jody was born on June 5, 1968, and was raised in Long Prairie, Minnesota. During high school, she excelled at golf and went to the state tournament in 1985 and 1986. She went to college at St. Cloud State University, where she studied mass communication and speech communication. She graduated in 1990. Jody worked as a broadcaster in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Alexandria, Minnesota, before ending up at the KIMT in Mason City, Iowa. Mason City, Iowa has a population of a little over 30,000 and is located close to the intersections of Interstate 35 and Interstate 90. On June 5th, Jody attended a birthday party thrown in her honor by a Mason City resident, John Van Syce. A few weeks later, John invited Jody and a couple of her girlfriends to go water skiing on Coralville Lake near Iowa City. Cold case investigator Steve Ridge reported that the young women eventually got onto another boat, a Mason Craft ski boat, with two men they had, known, they had not known previously. Ridge reported that this boat owner was known to invite young women onto his boat and then videotape them. It is reported that he videotaped Jody and her friends dancing on the boat, though the video has not been released, nor has the name of the boat owner. He just videotaped women? Well, this was, you know, this was the mid-90s, and I suppose it was, it doesn't sound as creepy as it does now. It was... Well, I feel like if you're known for vis- for videotaping women, like, why are you known that way? Because it's weird, or because... Well, it wasn't known by these women, by right. Jody and her friends. Um, it was, it was just, at, you know, in 1995, I think that videotaping equipment would have been large, right. cumbersome. It's not like the video videos on your that if you were to. It's not that he was doing it sneakily or something. No, no, no. It was, it was, it yeah. was. It had to be out in the open because these things were like a small suitcase. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, on the sly, anyway. But uh, yeah, and 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 this is the investigator who is saying that many people knew of this, but just not sure. necessarily these girls who had just met him yeah. that um, that day. So on the following Tuesday, June twenty seventh, a coworker called Jody at four a.m. because she was an hour late for her early morning shift. Jody answered and said that she would be right in, but by seven o'clock. Jody had not shown up for work, so the police were called. When the police arrived, they found Jody's red Mazda Miata in the parking lot. It appeared that there had been a struggle because her personal items, her purse, hairspray, blow dryer, and shoes were strewn around, and the key was broken off in her door lock. The police say that drag marks were visible on the wet pavement. Investigators were able to recover a palm print from her vehicle. Police spoke to three neighbors who reported hearing screams at around 4 a.m. A nearby neighbor reported seeing a white van running with its lights on in Jody's parking lot around the same time. 
The van has never been positively identified. Authorities conducted over a thousand interviews related to this case. In May 2001, Jody Sue Hughes was declared legally dead. There are no known suspects, just people of interest. These are the facts of the case, which is very little to go on, but there are some odd things that happened after Jody went missing that are of interest. So after Jody went missing, John Van Sice immediately came forward and reported that he had been, he may have been the last person to have seen Jody alive. He had visited, she had visited his home the night before to watch a video he had taken at her birthday party two weeks earlier. John was 20 years older than Jody. During this time, John uh, was given a lie detector test, which he passed. It appeared that John was single during this time, uh, though later he reported that he was in a secret relationship with another woman. John has been considered a person of interest in this case from the beginning. As late as March 2017, a search warrant was executed against John, seeking the GPS data for two of his vehicles. In June 2008, photocopies of 84 pages of Jody's personal journal were released anonymously to the newspaper, to the local newspaper, the Mason City Globe Gazette. The journal contained 80 pages of dreams and goals that Jody had for herself. The original journal was still in the possession of law enforcement and had been there since the investigation began. Within a couple of days of the release of the journal, the sender was identified as the wife of the former Mason City Police Chief. The police gave no motive as to why she would have sent the information to the paper. That's just, that seems odd. Yeah. One, for one, how did she get it in the first place? Well, he had a copy at his home. He had a copy of her journal in his home, apparently. And why release it? And then, and, and there was nothing ever stated that was of real interest in the information that was released. Yeah, it wasn't like I was seeing this person or I talked to this person. It was no. just her hopes and her dreams. Yep, just just that she had written for herself. And uh, but it doesn't doesn't appear that there was anything that was of any consequence. It's so it's strange. Yeah. That that. Um, he still had those journals. You know, this is 2008, and, and she disappeared in 1995. And then that they would be released for some reason. Yeah. It's just strange. And it's just a strange thing. So uh, another odd situation is that Jim Feldhouse was a retired computer programmer who lived in Canastota, South Dakota. It doesn't appear that he ever met Jody, but he spent 18 years voluntarily interviewing potential suspects and tracking down information on Jody's case. Jim was a U.S. Army veteran with degrees in chemistry and computer science, who was also a researcher for 3M at one time. Jim became a private investigator and would tip off the police and the media when he uncovered new leads. In 2005, he reported to the Globe Gazette that this was an obsession that he wanted to solve. Jim passed away in October of 2013. In December 2015, retiring Iowa State Representative John Quaker from Sioux City, Iowa, wrote a letter to the city of Mason City asking them to recognize the upcoming 20th anniversary of Jody's disappearance and to solicit their help in solving the case. John Quaker then wrote an opinion piece for the Northwest Iowa Review. Iowa Review. In that editorial, he suggested a cover-up by Mason City officials in regards to Jody's case. Quaker was accused of meddling and not respecting local control by Mason City officials. 
All reports indicate that Jodi was an attractive and charismatic young woman who was well-liked by all those that knew her. She had specific dreams and aspirations that were cut short. Today, Jodi Husentrout would be 51 years old. When she disappeared, she, weighed, she was 5'3 and weighed 120 pounds. She was Caucasian with blonde hair and brown eyes. If you have any information about Jody Houston Troop, contact the Mason City Police Department at 641-421-3636. So this case is always stuck with me. And, and I wouldn't say that at the time I was necessarily somebody who was paying attention to true crime. But in June of 1995, I moved to the Twin Cities. Um, and uh, Jody Houston True went missing in late June, and um, she would be three days older than I am. And um, she also came from a small town and was, you know, beginning her life as a as a young woman. And so this case just stuck with me. And it one of the things that's really upsetting is is that there was nothing to go on. Yeah. That nobody saw anything. Well, in a white van. Those lights running. Which, yeah. there's a million white vans. Right. And um, there was nothing at the time and nothing afterwards. And that you could, in you know, in 1995, just, just fall off the face of the earth and, yeah. and never be seen or heard from again. And so this case really stuck with me. And, and I didn't know the details of it other than just what was what was out in the public at the time and so after doing some research on the case um, it, there's a whole a whole bunch of characters um, who are have strange behavior yeah um, John Van Syce he was 20 20 years older than she was and I mean it wasn't like they had a he, he was just a resident of Mason City. Yeah. And, and, um, did it say how they knew each other? It, it, when it listed him, it listed him as a, a resident of Mason City. And there wasn't they, like a connection, like nope, he worked there, nope, or they knew that he was a relative oh, yeah. or anything like that. Nope. Friends of friends or nope. something. Nope. And, and at the time, um, at the time, he, he did have a girlfriend, but it's something that was kept private. Hmm. For whatever reason, yeah, and um, but his his behavior. I mean, throwing a birthday party for somebody who's twenty years younger, um, and then you know, and again, this is nineteen ninety five. So editing a video and maybe releasing a video might have been something that was a hobby or something. But it's today hearing it, it feels strange. It is. It, it is. Well, I feel like even then, it's strange. I mean, it's not somebody that you knew. It's, I don't know. It just seems. Yeah, it does. It just seems and actually, odd. Actually, today, unless, you know, the idea of videotaping a birthday party, um, you know, unless it's a, you know, your 80th birthday party, your first birthday party, or, yeah. you know, there's there's a couple of Your birthdays, 21st birthday. Something like that, yeah. that, but to videotape it. And then, and then she was, um, then it went, to, she went to his home the night before. And. And we don't know why, to other watch, than to watch to watch the the uh, the uh, video that he had taken at her birthday party party you know several right. weeks earlier. Um, 
And but it wasn't like they were in a relationship or something. No, it was just to watch no. this video. No, right. They had um, socialized. They, had, I think she had she had gone boating with him, um, and there were some social things. But she had had friends with her, and and uh, nobody talked to Jody after uh, she watched the video, the birthday party video with John. Yeah. Nobody had seen her between that time, and other than when uh, her coworker called her the next morning, and then and then she's gone. And um, yeah, the behavior of people. I think maybe maybe it's all well intended, but it's odd. Mm-hmm. It's odd. Um, um, releasing that journal. I just when there was I, no you, information uh, in it that was really pertinent. Well, and that many years later, what was. Point. It almost seems, I don't know. It almost seems invasive. Yeah. To to do that. I mean, I could see if it was, you know, there was a big break in the case, or, you know, look at what we found all these years later to show, you know, these these were her dreams and her aspirations, and we're right. still looking really hard for her. Right. Just to just to release it anonymously. It almost seems. Yeah, invasive is yeah. probably a good word for it. There's no. There is no benefit to releasing yeah it's just it didn't provide any information any new information that would have helped find her no it 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 didn't give it insight into you know who she was dating or any of those things it just kind of talked about her aspirations and uh um it's maybe not so strange jim feldhouse you know uh um he actually he lived in minnesota uh maybe at the time that she went missing and um, to have an interest in the case and to be somebody who was, you know, curious and intellectual um, to research that, but 18 years. Yeah. It's these now, you know, these internet sleuths that right. kind of piece things together. And here's that's this kind of connection. Why we're doing this. Yeah. Video, so why we're doing this uh, podcast. It kind of seems like that's what he was doing in a way, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of putting things together and, and kind of a fresh set of eyes at looking at things that maybe nobody picked up on before or and frustrated because yeah. it just it's um seems really unfair um I, and and you know at the time a lot of that would have been you know footwork, footwork right phone calling yeah finding numbers that wasn't wouldn't be as easy it is to do today yeah um, to get some of that information so um and and he did that for 18 years and it doesn't appear anywhere that that he, they had actually met yeah. so it was just but that's kind of, um, she was a um, um, all-American kind of girl, and and um, that's that's and and that caused people to be attracted to her and interested in her, and that that well, and also you put yourself out there on TV. You know, if she was a broadcaster, yeah, a lot of people are seeing you, seeing you that you don't know, right. and they maybe feel like they know you, right, uh, because they see you every day on the news or on this program, right. And it didn't appear that that she didn't report, you know, anything about you know being stalked or being being harassed, sure, or anything. Um, though, you know, we take that stuff a little bit more seriously now. I hope I hope yeah. today we do, and we see that that behavior is 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 dangerous and scary. Um, but um, th- there was nothing that she kind of reported to others or indicated to others in any way that she was concerned about that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, a life cut short. Too early. On June 15, 1974, 
17-year-old Belinda Van Lith was house-sitting for the week on Little Eagle Lake in Wright County, Minnesota. Belinda lived in Monticello, which was only about six miles from Little Eagle Lake. She was house-sitting for Dwayne Cornwell from Monday, June 10th through Saturday, June 15th, while Cornwell, a musician, was in Nashville. Belinda's family expected her home at the end of the weekend in order to attend her sister's graduation party. Belinda was a normal teen. She enjoyed gardening, she had lots of friends, and she did a lot of babysitting. When Belinda didn't return home on Sunday, her parents called the Cornwell residence several times, but the lines were down. When Cornwell returned home at 6 p.m., Belinda was nowhere to be found. Her clothes and purse were still at the residence. The following day, the Wright County Sheriff's Department was called to investigate. There were no signs of a struggle or foul play. Wait, um, they didn't call anybody until Monday? So this would have been Sunday. Okay, this was Sunday night. So was she was she... supposed to go home on Sunday right. morning. And he, was, and he was he was coming home Sunday yes. night, 6 p.m. Right. But, um, and her stuff was still there. Yeah. Which he probably thought was a little odd. Yeah. And parents were waiting, I suppose, waiting for her to show up. And... Yeah, there seems to be a, 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 a lapse in... Right. And I'm not sure if that was how it really was, but that was right. what I could find. Summer... Summer 1974. Well, and they only lived 10, 10 minutes away yeah. um, from this house that she was... But life gets busy and... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Phone conversations with Belinda's father Thursday evening and with her friends Friday and Saturday showed that Belinda was still at the Cornwall residence at least until Saturday. A teenager who knew Belinda reported seeing her on Monday, June 17th hitchhiking with another girl toward the Twin Cities, near the edge of Monticello. But authorities could not confirm that that info was valid, and there was no other reports of a second missing girl to the sheriff's department. It also wasn't in Belinda's character to run away. Belinda was never seen again. And can I just say that she wouldn't have run away... Uh, I mean, she hadn't been paid for her job. I mean, maybe, maybe she'd been paid, but... There would be no indications that she, I mean, she had something to look forward to on Sunday. There was this party. She, uh, she obviously gave no indication to any of her friends that she spoke to on the phone um, because they must have spoken to those friends right. um, they, to know that they talked to her. And it said that it wasn't in her, in her character. Which, right. I mean, at, at 17, if it was, we would, she would have maybe shown something like that before. Or had done it. Yeah. Had right. done it there before. Wasn't a fight, or, there wasn't, a, there yeah. wasn't a, a good reason for this. Right. Okay. So there is a suspect in this case. Timothy Joseph Crosby was around Belinda's age in 1974. Crosby was reportedly responsible for a murder in 1970. He was also staying in his parents' cabin on Little Eagle Lake the same week that Belinda was house-sitting. His parents' cabin was only 100 yards away from the Cornwell residence. I guess Belinda knew Crosby's sister. One article that I read stated that Belinda went to the Crosby cabin the day before she vanished to see if Timothy's sister was there. She was not. Crosby was a bad guy. He has a history of assaulting women. Crosby started attacking women in the early 70s when he was just a teenager. Residents that lived in the area at the time Belinda went missing said that they knew the interior door handles of Crosby's car had been removed. So if you were in the car, you couldn't get out unless you were let out from the outside. What? Creepy. That's done intentionally? Yes. And they knew about it. I mean, that's that's scary. That's, right, it was well-known. Yeah. After Belinda went missing, Crosby assaulted a 20-year-old woman in his family's cabin. 
Crosby then drove her around in his car, threatening her life. She spotted a police officer and was able to cause his car to swerve and crash. Crosby fled on foot, but was eventually caught. He was criminally and civilly committed to the intensive treatment program for sexual aggressives for that sexual assault. He was let out of prison in 1982. He didn't stop assaulting women, so he was then sent to the Minnesota Security Hospital in 1983. He was released again in 1987. A month after his release, he attacked again. That woman was held against her will and assaulted for several hours before she was able to jump out a window to escape. He was convicted and sent to prison again, this time for 41 months. This <clears throat> this is a upsetting that that nowhere does it really talk about um, that he's charged with a crime other than so that first so he first went to prison in 82 but he didn't stop assaulting. he was let out of prison in oh, 82 he was let out of prison in 82 right but he kept assaulting women and is just in it's just sent back to the hospital yeah Normally, I wouldn't spend so much time talking about the suspect because that's not what this is about. Right. But I think that this is important to show how maddening this is, that he repeatedly offended and he was repeatedly let out. To reoffend. To reoffend. So it gets even more maddening. So he was convicted and sent to prison for the 41 months. The court decided not to seek an upward departure at sentencing and also agreed not to file a petition seeking Crosby's commitment as a sexual psychopath or as a mentally ill and dangerous person. What would he have to do to be considered a sexual psychopath if that's not enough? Right. What else do, what else should you what else do you have to do? Crosby also declined sexual offender treatment. Well, apparently I'm he sure was he did. Apparently he was given the option. I don't know. I, how can you even decline it? Yeah. So he was sent back to okay. the Minnesota Security Hospital again in 1989, where he spent five years. Once he was let out, he married his 19-year-old girlfriend. Now, he was 40 years old at this time. He started dating her when she was 17. He lived under the radar for a few years, and that just means that he didn't get caught, at least until 2009, when he reoffended. He was then tied to the murder of a woman who had disappeared in 1994, she was later found strangled to death. As for Belinda Van Lith, her case was reopened in 2013. Why was it reopened? There wasn't a specific reason. It okay. sounds like there was somebody new um, in the department. Or something? Yep, yep, okay. there was no specific reason. Okay. Um, just kind of a new set of eyes. Sheriff's Captain Greg Howell said that Crosby is one of the many names that have surfaced as being possibly responsible for Belinda's disappearance. Crosby is a suspect in this case. As of 2013, he is in the custody of the state sex offender treatment program in Moose Lake. He was committed as a violent sexual recidivist. Belinda's father passed away in 1988, and her mother passed away in 2014, just a year after they reopened Belinda's case. At the time of her disappearance, Belinda had blonde hair and blue eyes. She was 5'5 and 110 pounds. Today, she would be 62 years old. If you have any information about the disappearance of Belinda Van Lith, please call the Wright County Sheriff's Office at 1-763-682-7879. So you said that as of 2013, he was in custody uh, at Moose Lake. Yes. At, in the, uh, in the um, state sex offender treatment program. Right. Um, so that was 2013, and it's 2019 now. Yeah, and I tried looking him up. I don't know if that information is confidential, 
but I tried to find out, you know, I know it says that he was committed, but he was committed other times too and let out. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if maybe it would say, you know, he's committed for this amount of time and I couldn't find him anywhere. So I don't know if that information, if you're, if you're in Moose Lake, that sexual offender treatment facility, Mm -hmm. if your information is confidential, because I couldn't find anything about him. Well, and I don't know, I'm not sure, at least from kind of what you said, so he was found guilty of a crime and sentenced to Moose Lake. Yeah. Um, So if he were to get out of Moose Lake uh, and he moved to our community, we would not only have his picture, we would have his conviction... And his address of where he was expected to move into, or at least the block that he was moving into. So that information would not be confidential once he was released. Only if he's a level three. Only if he's a level three. That's only when the community is notified, is if you're a level three. He's committed murder, at well, least one, or two, two that, is, that he's been charged that with. That he's been caught. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's why this case is so maddening, is that he has done this so many times and that's why I was concerned, you know, is he even still there? Right. And I even tried just doing a regular offender search, not not a sex offender search. Uh-huh. Um, maybe somebody who's just in prison. Right. Um, and I couldn't find him anywhere. There was no there was no mention of him. That doesn't mean that he's not. It just means that for whatever reason, the general public can't find that information, which I thought was interesting. And maybe he's not labeled a sex offender. You know, maybe he maybe he wasn't given that. Level three, level two. Just because of that he's now would be in his 60s, you know, in his mid-60s, and maybe at the time that he wasn't given that classification. Yeah, I'm not really sure how that worked. I'm not I'm not positive why that information isn't isn't out there. And not that not that even the general public needs to know that, I guess, but to look it up to see if he was going to be getting out or... You know something, well, and now you know um, there's who who's who's still here to um, like of Belinda's family to you know fight against him being released. Yeah. Or you know, well, and there's at least two other victims that are um, that got away. Yeah. Um, so I don't. I mean, you would think that they would have an interest in whether he's let out or... They would have an interest. And, and yeah. these are the ones that... These are the serious ones yep. that were reported. Um, there's 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 absolutely more that yeah. weren't reported. Um, and, um, you know, that their family members would have a concern. And society as a whole should yeah. be concerned. Yes. It, it just brings up an interesting conversation about uh, somebody who is, you know... Uh, a sexual predator and there's been discussion about um, that sexual predators should be up for consideration of release and um, when in this case it shows that uh, that time in prison time in sexual offender treatment did not did not help him yeah become less violent sexually violent well, and it didn't. It from from what I read, it didn't sound like it was even taken that seriously in the first place. I, you know, I think at one time, the information like if you lived in one county, 
and this this happened in one county, the next county wouldn't necessarily know yeah. that that you had were committed of this crime in this county and and that you actually had the ability to move around without um oversight to a certain extent. Yeah. And especially if they were minor crimes. But these are major crimes. They're major. That he he that murder when he was in his teens. Yeah. Yeah, he was about 18 years old. Um, when that was... When, when that Belinda happened. went missing. So Belinda was 17. So, And he was already... Already a murderer. Assa- and assaulting women. Yeah. I, you know, I guess I didn't realize, and I suppose this, this means that I'm naive, but I didn't really realize that there were sexual psychopaths um, um, until I was... You know, just within this last couple of years, and and I've I've taken an interest in true crime um, podcasts specifically, um, and I feel grateful that I could be ignorant about that, but also very naive in that that the world is can be so very violent, um, and you don't have to be very old. He was eighteen years old. He, yeah. I mean, he, he, he killed somebody besides, you know, b- besides sexual assaults that were known in his community, in his area. Yep. And there's so many that we don't know about. That weren't reported. Yep. Yeah. Or that people that... Um, were terrified to report also. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, were silenced. Yep. Hmm. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> So, um, we've been doing these podcasts now for Gone, the Gone podcast, about people who've gone missing for a couple of months now. And the challenging part about doing podcasts with this, this subject is that they've all gone missing, and there's no um, closure to the topic that we're discussing. So, uh, and that's extremely frustrating, and it was... It's uh, it's challenging. So uh, after our after talking about these heavy topics every week for um, for months now, uh, you came up with the idea to do something a little lighthearted. Yeah, to do like a weekly funny or like a weekly distraction or something that we've seen on the internet or something that we've seen in person too, some funny story that we may have heard or seen. Um, to share with each other, just to make each other laugh. And so this is this is not scripted, uh, <laughs> which you'll find that out very quickly. Um, but I, I think also that in our work life, uh, Katie and I work together, and uh, uh, we'll have a, a cute kitty cat video break or a, um, uh, something that's funny, but we try to laugh as much as possible and um it makes the work easier but um we have to it's it's an effort we have to yeah. find things that are funny and things that make us laugh and so this this little segment here which we don't even have a name for uh yet but um 
right now it's going to be called weekly distraction and uh it's just stuff that makes us laugh and our effort today is going to be to try to just crack each other up because <laughs> it isn't hard to do it's just uh that in our in our um in our recording of the gone podcast we don't nothing about that is funny no. and so so we're going to tra- take a little weekly distraction from ourselves and have a little bit of uh, uh fun and hopefully it makes you laugh also. Well, yeah. And actually, and if it doesn't, that's fine too, as long as it makes us laugh. Um, so one of, the, one of the things that we had agreed on, this was Katie's idea. She came up with it. And we agreed that we would each find something funny to make each other laugh and, and uh, um, not share it with each other until we got here. And then, um, then what happened? Janelle lied. <laughs> <laughs> she lied to me. And told me that I had to find her funny story. Well, I just want to say in my defense, it does say in your job description, in number 17, <laughs> other duties as assigned. And, um, and if I had to do it, we'd be reading the recipes from the 1953 raisin cookbook that Apparently, isn't that funny to anybody else but me? Well, I think it's hilarious, but I already know it. <laughs> I've already read it, and so I already—it's—it's it's very funny because it's so gross. <laughs> so, which is a which is a whole uh, that's uh, a, a another whole other, story for a different a whole, day. Whole other. So, um, Katie, do we have stuff that you and I can talk about back and forth, or do you want to just? So I'm just going to read mine. Okay. And then I can read yours. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then I'll read mine. And yeah. Yours that was mine. Right. Now mine. Right. Okay. So mine are things that. People have had trouble saying. So oh, trouble getting the words out or mispronouncing things or putting the wrong words together. So every day of my life. <laughs> That's what that is. <laughs> so for what I found, it looks like these were all on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so this was a Twitter feed, like people who struggle with the English language or something, putting something together, putting right. words together. So I'm just going to read these because they're okay. hilarious. <laughs> So, meant to say, hold on for a second and give me a minute to a customer, and it came out as, hold me for a second. (laughs) (laughs) It would just make it so much better if you just held me for one second. And then it said, what a Monday. (laughs) I just tried to say Justin Timberlake out loud, but it came out as Jimber Timber. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is a festival in Wisconsin. I'm not sure. The Jimber Timber Festival. Uh, okay the elevator doors opened up and a guy walked into the elevator it was just me and him in there and he said i love you and i'm not rude so i said i love you too (laughs) he gave me he gave me a weird look and pointed at his bluetooth (laughs) i hate bluetooth i hate him because i never know (laughs) and i think and i think that everybody's always talking to me One time I went to hand someone a bowl of hot soup and my brain tried to say, careful, it's hot, and here's your soup. So instead, I started, I blurted out, careful, it's soup. <laughs> oh. Careful, it's soup. <laughs> Thank you. Since that's what yeah. I ordered. Thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I had to go to the library and pay a fee and was practicing in the car between I have to pay a fine and I have to pay a fee. And I walked in and firmly stated, I have to pee, and slapped a $5 bill on the counter. The fee, <laughs> the fee was only like 10 cents, and I walked out. This was like three years ago, and I still haven't been back. Oh, that's 
I have to pee. Here's five bucks. The, the, uh, I worked at the library uh, when I was in college. I worked at the Carl E. Meet Library in, at Dakota State University in Madison, South Dakota. And I worked there for years. Uh, and uh, can you, I can... There were strange things that... That happened all the time, but that, that oh would really take the cheek. Well, I totally can relate to practicing what you're going to say right, in the car. Right. I can totally relate to that. Which is so dumb. It's <laughs> so dumb. And it only makes it worse. It does, because then you feel like it's scripted. Right. And then you screw it up. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Brain cell one, have a nice day. Brain cell two, nah, say have a good one. Mouth, having guys done. <laughs> That's German for <laughs> That's German for have a nice day. <laughs> Having guys done. <laughs> so I meant to say, oh, crap, I left my phone in the car. But what I almost said was, oh, no, I left my cone in my far. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been embarrassing? But I caught myself, and what I actually said was, ah, oh, my fart cone. <laughs> Oh, my fart cone. Yesterday at Target, the cashier said, your receipt is in the bag. And I responded with, you too. So I've been dealing with that for the past 18 hours, <laughs> but I'm slowly coming to terms with it, which is cool. <laughs> oh, it's in the bag. You too. Yep. Yep. I always, I always laugh at, I always laugh at myself when I tell the, the, uh, cashier at the gas station that I have gas. I, I always, I, I have gas and I always laugh at myself every time. Uh, I am 51 years old. And I'm still laughing at myself about having gas. That's so funny. I once walked into Subway and asked for a moot ball feet long. <laughs> walked out. I can never go back. <laughs> Ever again. They told all the other Yeah, everybody Subway, knows. So they everybody took a picture. Knows. They took a picture. <laughs> <laughs> my picture's posted in the back. Uh, my friend was yeah with moot ball feet long. My friend was driving and we were almost past our turn off, so I tried to say quick and fast at the same time and ended up screaming quack, which ended up with him judging me very hard and missing the turn. <laughs> I'm so glad that I'm not the only one that does these kinds of things. Uh, <laughs> Today at work, I let someone into a dressing room, and they said thanks, and half of me tried to say you're welcome, and the other half tried to say no problem, and I ended up saying your problem. <laughs> it's your problem now. What happens in there is on you. Oh, which is actually what happens it's in so the dressing true. room. <laughs> uh, got to my dad's house, and he was showing me all the food he has for me to snack on, and he goes, and I have a guacamole ball. What's a guacamole ball, you ask? Well, I will tell you. An avocado. He has an avocado. <laughs> <laughs> guacamole ball. I love guacamole balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, a German man just came into the pub and tried to ask for cutlery, but ended up saying, I need some food weapons. <laughs> And I will now be referring them as food weapons. For the rest of, for my, the rest life. of my life. Uh, I forgot the words for expiration date and just asked for the statute of limitations on this coconut milk. <laughs> oh, these are good. That's I'm all I have. Crying. I'm crying. So uh, the ones that I found, or I mean Katie found. Oh, 
she phoned them from a, a, a sad and useless. It's called Sad and Useless, the most depressive humor <laughs> site on the internet, which I think is going to be my new favorite. Oh place my gosh! To go. um, and uh, so the, these are things that, um, again, the same kind of things. Things that came out a little bit wrong, a little, a little off, or new yeah. ways to say new words. words. Yeah, like um, uh, corn dog is a meat twinkie. Yeah, or like your pockets are snack holes. Are <gasps> snack holes? Yeah. Which I think is a better name than pocket. I think it is. Snack holes. Um, I wish I had snack holes (laughs) with meat pockets in them. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So uh, these are these are twenty times genius kids came up with their own words for common items. (laughs) My five-year-old just saw a crow and called it a Halloween eagle. A Halloween eagle and a child will lead us. It is known for this is the new name for the bird formerly known as crow. And you know what to do. Which totally makes sense. Halloween Halloween eagle. Eagle. Right, right. They're big and they're black. And they're big and they're black. Yeah. That's exactly. (laughs) A five-year-old saw a rhino and called it a battle unicorn. (laughs) Which is perfect. It is perfect. Um, My five-year-old was wailing about seeing a flamingo witch after watching National Geographic took a little while to figure out that it was actually a vulture, <laughs> a flamingo witch. Well, yeah, they've got long legs, and they've got kind of... They are. Yeah. They are when you kind of think about yes, it. Yes, they've got like kind of big beaks, big weird beaks. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, um, long necks and... Yeah, hunchy. <clears throat> hunchy. Hunchy. <laughs> well, kind of, flamingos are kind of hunchy. I, I suppose. Kind of, yeah, yeah, <laughs> flamingo witches. My son calls ravioli... Pasta pockets. Oh. Which is true. They are. They are pasta pockets. Um, my daughter once referred to dreams as stories in my eyes. Oh, that's deep. That is deep. That's, that's a, good. She's she's a smart kid. <laughs> my two-year-old son calls beards or facial hair face grass. <laughs> <laughs> it started out a year ago. We can't bring ourselves to correct him. Oh, my God. So instead of shaving your face, you have to mow your face? You have to mow your face. Yeah. Oh, he's got some long face grass. <laughs> and actually, she's got some face grass under her nose, which is something we don't talk about. A kindergartner told me that she liked my hand socks. Gloves, obviously. Oh. But now and forever, they will be called hand, hand socks. socks. <laughs> That's a good one. My niece used to say that <laughs> singing in her pants. <gasps> Which is whenever she passed gas, she was singing her pants. <laughs> I guess that would work. <laughs> singing in her When I was about four or five, I referred to cemeteries as die yards. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean. It's true. It's kind of true. Yeah. yeah. When my daughter was roughly five, she referred to eyebrows as eye mustaches. <laughs> Uh, she's a teenager now, and it's all about the eye mustaches. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. Eye mustaches. Eye mustaches. As a toddler, my son was... my. As a toddler, my son was king of properly renaming things. This is why my vocabulary now includes gems like boo-boo trucks oh. and bedskins, ambulances, <laughs> and sheets, obviously. Bedskins. <laughs> boo-boo trucks. <laughs> well, I mean, that's true. It's true. Bed skins. Ugh. That kind of makes me... I know. Uh, my daughter, when she was five, called cemeteries Gardens of Dead People. Oh. I feel like that's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> should be. It should be a it's name. It's a title of something. It should be. The, 
This one maybe gave, gave me gag face. <laughs> Thanks to my nephew, I now call flour tortillas burrito skin. <laughs> <laughs> and you know donkeys are called bur- bur- burros. I'm sorry, that's a whole different... <laughs> That's where my mind went to. See, it's not a. But can clear... you imagine, like, saying, "Oh, I'm just going home to have a burrito skin." Like, <laughs> just going home for lunch. What'd you have? It burrito skins. Yeah. What would you call uh, quart tortillas? I don't know. I don't know. Something to think about. Let us know. Yeah, let us know. Just send it to us at www.podcast or wait, gone dash podcast dot com. Don't ask me what we're doing because I have no idea. So my daughter called air conditioning the cold heat. Hmm. Um, I remember asking my dad to turn the to turn the air conditioner on hot when I was little. Because <laughs> well, yeah, it's just saying. yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> pockets will forever be known as snack holes. Yes. Oh my god, they it will. is true, and it's there's not a better name. No. Uh, in fact, it should be changed. Webster uh, Dictionary, if you're listening, <laughs> which obviously they are. <laughs> When my daughter was four, she couldn't remember the word for ambulance. She got all excited when she saw one. And she called it a sick fire truck. <laughs> I figured it out. I mean, yeah, it's close, close enough. enough. Yeah. When my son was little, he used to he used to say fasting instead of running. Look, mom, I'm fasting. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> so my I I had a my he would be my nephew. Uh, he his sister was a. a a very fast runner uh, was um, had gone to state several times, and so whenever he would run, he would he would do the cartoon <laughs> like a wind up. Yeah, the wind up. <laughs> and whenever whenever it was he was going to run, he'd always do the wind up. <laughs> so fasting. My wanted my daughter wanted to be a librarian when she grew up. Librarian? At, oh no, my daughter wanted to be a librarian. Oh, a librarian. When she grew up, librarian, I asked. No, librarian. Someone who goes to the library and reads books. I want to be My a dream librarian. Job. <laughs> and then pay you. Oh. Oh, that would be. I'd want to. Just, so, just pay you to wander around and look at books. And and pick them up. Yeah. And open them. And just, yeah, that would be. A librarian. I want that. Yeah. When I was a little kid, I called call, cauliflower on my plate little white trees. Hmm. Well, obviously. Yeah. They are. Little white trees would probably taste better than cauliflower. Right. My kid couldn't remember the word wrist one day, so he started <laughs> calling them hand ankles. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are hand ankles. They do the same thing. I wonder what would elbows be arm ankles? They really would be. They would be. They would be. Interesting. Yeah. When <clears throat> I was born in, my brother and I were born in Germany, and so um, there's some words that he was learning to say that kind of got mixed around a little bit because of the probably because of the German and he was very little but he would call motorcycles Sodermichaels Sodermichaels <laughs> and um, Sodermichaels and uh, Volkswagens or Volkswagens Volkswagens oh sure um, changing the V and the W yeah um, which actually might be closer to how it's said in Volkswagen German. Volkswagen yeah um, so there's a yeah <clears throat> So anyway, I think that I think that those were really wonderful. <laughs> I'm so glad um, that we had this little distraction for this week. <laughs>